0: Well, I don't know if you've seen the movie called uh, "Primal Fear," Primal Fear, or "Usual Suspects," um, where the, the 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 evil man goes uh, unpunished in the end. Our gut churns as we see this evil person walk away. Um, uh, but the thing is, this stuff isn't actually something that's that happens in the movies only. It happens in our lives all the time. The good suffer, and while the evil go unpunished. It happens all too often in our world. And I can think of no better example than, uh, you might have heard of his name before, Dr. Joseph Mengele. He was known as the angel of death and the chief medical officer at Auschwitz during the World War II. As the Jews arrived in this cramped um, carts. He stood just outside to determine who was going to live and who was going to die. In one instance, he drew a line on the wall 150 centimeters high, and whoever the kids, people, whoever were taller lived and whoever were shorter than that died um, in the gas chambers. But even then, he's more infamous for his experiments. He did various experiments on human body. He performed various experiments on children trying to change the eye color is recorded to have vivisection, uh, dissection while the person's alive on a pregnant woman. Alex Deckel, one Auschwitz survivor said, Mengele ran a butcher shop. Major surgeries were performed without anesthesia. Once I witnessed a stomach operation, Mengele was removing pieces from the stomach, stomach, but without any anesthetics. Another time it was a heart that was removed, again without anesthesia. It was horrifying. Mengele was a doctor who became mad because of the power he was given. Nobody ever questioned him. Why did this one die? Why did that one perish? The patients did not count. He professed to do this in the name of science, but it was madness on his part. The thing about him was that after the war, he escaped to South America. He even practiced medicine there specializing illegal on illegal abortion. He evaded attempts to capture him repeatedly and died peacefully while swimming in the Brazilian ocean, having a stroke. Ending like this is distasteful, not only in the movies, but in our lives, in this, in this real world. But that's not how the end will happen. Look to verse 37 in our passage. This Jesus says in 37, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be, so it will be at the coming of the son of man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. This is how it will be. At the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus' tone isn't what we're reminded uh, in Christmas, just meek and mild, child meek and mild, as many secular admirers of Jesus uh, want him to be. His voice is stern and ominous. In the days of Noah, Every inclination of the thoughts of people's hearts were only evil all the time. And God sent the flood as a judgment against the world. And as it was in the days of Noah, it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. And as we confess our faith um, in Apostles' Creed each week, the Son will come to judge the living and the dead. One Mengele survivor said that he had the look that said, I am the power. Well, he too will rise from the grave. And he will cower with terror. For the second coming of Jesus, he will come in power and glory and might. He will come as the judge. He will come as the king of kings. This is a powerful doctrine, but in many ways, for many reasons, people are embarrassed of this doctrine. For atheists, the idea that Jesus will come back again, that this the world will end this way, embarrasses people. For the most part, secular people don't have this bleak view of the sudden ending of the world. They're quite optimistic because as we look back to the last hundred years, they look back at all the progress that has been made. We built nations and civilizations, and we promoted peace and justice. Uh, and people live as long, uh, longer than ever before. And The world, in, for the most part, is as peaceful as it has ever been in the world. Wealth will abound in the end. End will be quite good. And if there is an ending, there is not a ending. They don't uh, uh, look forward to an ending that is s- sudden and abrupt. It might be, if there is an ending, it might be a slow ending. The universe will disintegrate slowly. The sun will grow cooler, um, cooler and Cooler. This might even happen imperceptibly. And for some Christians, doctrine of the second coming is embarrassing because they believe, rightly so, that God is love. How can there be a judgment in the end when God is love? God's love will win out in the end, and everyone will be forgiven. Most recently, a pastor in the U.S. called, um, a pastor in the U.S. wrote a book called "Love Love Wins," and there's a line here: "No one can resist God's pursuit forever because God's love will eventually melt even the hardest hearts. In the end, all men will be saved, all people will be saved, and God will embrace all, and all sins will be forgotten." Well, the Bible. Contradicts both the atheist view of the optimistic and a gradual end, and also the universalism that says everyone will be saved. There will be an end. And the end will not be a slow disintegration. It will not be caused by the slow breakdown of the universe or cooling of the sun. It won't even end in some natural disaster. The world, as we know it, will come to an end on God's own terms when God decides to return to history, in history. The history will end when the trumpet sounds fill the earth and the Son of Man comes among the clouds as King of kings. And it will be an abrupt and sudden end, and contrary to those Christians who believe that everyone will be saved. Jesus says in verse 40, people will be divided. Look at that verse. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding uh, with a handmill, one will be taken and the other left. The wheat will be divided from the tares, Matthew 13, and the sheep from the goats, Matthew 25. And there will be a last judgment. And this isn't a bad thing. Joseph Mengele will be punished. All who lived in ignorance and rebellion will be punished. All who have cried out for justice against this crude injustice of the world will see righteousness reign. All wrongdoers who thought that there was no God, that there was no penalty, who believed that they were the highest law, highest authority, all who said to themselves, I am the power, will see God's coming with glory and might and tremble before him. Advent is a season of waiting, of longing, of coming of Christ. And we echo those who are crying even now in the face of persecution, in the face of injustice, the voices who have pleaded with God to end their sufferings, those who look to heavens and wish, wish that Christ would come now to, as a judge to this sinful world, those who have pleaded with tears to go do away with suffering and fill this earth with his righteousness, peace, and love. That's the voice that we echo in the season of Advent, we long for that day to come. And what the, uh, this passage also teaches us is that the end is not just merely an end. It will be a judgment. And the thing is, this is for the Christian as well. And we see at the end, at the, at the, at the judgment, we'll see the full extent of grace of Jesus Christ as we see him. In our defense, as he calls us as his own. But it also will be a judgment of different kind for us as well. Um, Not the one that will send us either to the eternal wrath or eternal bliss, since Jesus' scars will bear witness to the punishment that he has borne for us. But a perfect kind of judgment in our lives, on our lives, over our lives. Perfect critique, C.S. Lewis says, of our, of our lives. Perfect opinion given over our lives. He says in, this, um, in, in an essay called A World's Last Night, he says it like, he imagines it like this. The judgment will be infallible. If the judgment is favorable, we shall have no fear. If unfavorable, no hope that it is wrong. We shall not only believe, we shall know beyond doubt in every fiber of our appalled or delighted being that as the judge has said, so we are. Neither more, nor less, nor other. We shall perhaps even realize in some dim fashions we could have known it all along. A perfect judgment of how we lived, of who we are, of all the choices that we have made on earth will be pronounced. And on that day, I think there will be mourning for us as well, for all the sins that we have committed, all the wrong choices that we have made, even as Christians. But of course, there will be a great rejoicing in the end. As Christians, we will celebrate not only God's saving grace, of price that has been paid on the cross by Jesus, but also the, the power of God that has worked in our lives, all the right choices that we have made, all the ways in which Christ shined in our lives. There will be a celebration of every little and big decisions that we made that honored Christ. The time when you, when you sacrificially given your time and, and money. The time when people like Carol have given, uh, gone for the sake of Christ to overseas and sacrifice their life for Christ. The time when you stood up to your boss and said, I can't do that because I'm a Christian and I have a bigger boss, Christ. The decisions made at home and our workplaces when we were with others and also when we were alone all those choices that we have made, all the p- times when Christ shone in our lives. Forever, Christ will be honored, and his glory will shine even more because of the choices that Christ w- we've made, f- because of the way in which Christ worked in our lives. We will praise God for the power that had worked in our lives. The end will not be a mere end. It will not just disappear. There will be a judgment. But just as sure as there is a judgment, um, the, Bible tells us, the Bible tells us that the end will come uh, abruptly. So he said this in the very, uh, in the most clear terms um, in, in in verse thirty six. So, so we go back one verse there. It says, No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven nor, nor the Son, but only the Father. This is part of the great mystery of the Incarnation, the fact that God became a man on Christmas Day. Jesus was perfectly God, but he was also perfectly man as well. Jesus spent nine months in Mary's womb, and we can't imagine possibly imagine how the universe was held together as Jesus slept in baby in in mary's womb for nine months that's just a that that is just in the um divine mystery that I think we have to file away we can't possibly understand that Jesus became a man Luke recorded that Jesus grew in stature um in two thirty two luke two thirty two but